you haven't got a chance to pray in the chapel, I want to tell you, everybody I've talked with literally has uh, been moved in a way they didn't expect. I had a, a couple people tell me that they went in there to pray for an hour, looked up, and it was an hour and a half, two hours went by. Uh, it's an amazing experience. Today, though, we did find out there are five slots open right now that we need people during today to take. So I want to encourage you more than ever after the service, go out, find out what times are available, uh, and sign up, be a part of this, bring family, bring friends, uh, share in an amazing time together as we pray together for 40 days. The other thing I want to say is, hey, all of you who helped on Monarch House, thank you so much. I mean, actually, let's give an applause for everybody who did that. Man. Uh, the hope that's going to come, the way lives are going to be touched and changed. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you, I got to go over there and watch when the Home Depot crew was there. And hundreds of people are partnering with our people doing amazing work. Uh, it was just incredible to see. And, and I think it's a sign of what's to come. So it's so exciting to have that happen. But if you uh, have your Bibles, uh, Lindsay already said it, Matthew 5, we want you to turn there, follow along in your notes, you can see where we're going. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today. We're in a series called Words Written in Red. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And, and I had my friend Mike Bro come out and he opened up the series for us by showing us that the Beatitudes, which are eight attitudes that Jesus wants inside of us. And they are attitudes that when they're locked in, give a foundation in our life for amazing, amazing happiness. Now it's not a happiness for the moment. It's a happy life. And what Jesus calls us to builds this within us. And it's very countercultural. It's very different than where people think that happiness can be found, but it's the only true place to find it. And he started out by saying blessed or mercurios. And that means to be extremely, supremely happy. Blessed are those who, who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the first rung on the ladder and they build on each other. And why is that? Because you and I are truly blessed when we realize we need God. We're really blessed when we realize we need people. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? It means God's presence comes into your life. God's promises are active in your life. God's power is in your life. God's provisions in your life. Blessed are you when you say, God, I need you. And, and you experience God's presence. But when a holy God comes close to us, what happens next? Blessed are those who mourn. Why do we mourn? Well, we mourn because we realize there's sin in us. We realize there's selfishness. We realize we've hurt people. We realize the gravity of that sin was born by Jesus on the cross. And when that becomes real, then, then what happens is we say, God, I am so sorry. And God says, but I want to bring my comfort into your life. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Then uh, because God gave everything to us, we want to give everything to him. So we go to the next level. Blessed are the meek. And the word meek there literally means to be trained by God, to be governed by God. It's a life where we say, God, I am so committed to you. Whatever you want me to do, whatever you ask for me to do, how you want me to live, that's what I want to do. And then blessed are the meek. What then they shall inherit the earth. You feel like you've got everything that matters. You just look around and say, I can't believe how incredible life is. Why? Because you're living the life God created you for. It's the best life you could ever live. And what does that make you do? It makes you go to the next level where you hunger and thirst for more. I blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. And you find yourself wanting righteousness. Now, this is a huge one. Lock this in your mind for today, because what you say is I want to have right attitudes. I want to have right motives. I want to have a right lifestyle. I, I, I just hunger Lord, that everything in my life is a godly honoring thing. And the more you hunger for that, the more you find deep satisfaction inside of you, which leads you to the next thing. You want to just be gracious and forgiving. So blessed are the merciful. 
for they shall receive mercy. And we find ourselves wanting to be gracious towards other people and loving towards other people, not based on them deserving it, based on the fact that God loves us. And then we move to the next level. And what is that? It's blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are you when your heart is pure. You don't desire immorality, but you desire morality. Blessed are you when your motives are pure and your life is pure and you want everything even more committed to God. And that shines out, which brings us to the next one. And I'm not going to stand there. (laughs) Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And we saw that real peace isn't just the absence of conflict. Real peace is willing to to go to the depths of what it means to get people to understand what it means to be right with God. And what it means to really have a pure, righteous relationship with other people. In other words, it's the idea of digging down deep. So real love's there. Real peace is there. And then we come to the last one. This is the one that's shocking. Are you ready for this? You're never going to be truly happy. Until you grab hold of what Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you hit this place right here. And, and, and what happens is you're on the top of the ladder. And my wife Pam said this, and I think it's true. When you get on the top of the ladder, people want to knock you off. Isn't that right? Because now you're shining out for Christ. Now you're living a life purely devoted to Christ. Now you're experiencing the kingdom of God. And we live in a world that doesn't love that. And so what do they want to do? They want to take shots at us. And God says this, blessed are you. Matter of fact, there's a double blessing here. But blessed are you when you're persecuted. Why? For the sake of righteousness. For the sake of the truths of Christ. And by the way, here's the thing I want you to grab today. There's no better life you could live when you're purely devoted to God. And you're willing to say, you know what, Jesus, if you suffered for me, I'll suffer for you. And Jesus, if you stood for truth, I'll stand for truth. And we need to understand that when we do this, not everybody's applauding. As a matter of fact, insults come, persecutions come, and and a desire even to lie about us and attack us comes. And we see that happening. Why? Because we hold up the very truth that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And the minute you hold that up in a world that doesn't understand it and holds to evil things, believing that all roads lead to God, believing that everybody deep down is good enough, which we know isn't true, believing that the whole idea is that we just need to be accepting of everything. And we say, no, there's only one way. There's only one truth. There's only one life. People don't always cheer. This year began by showing that in a very poignant way. Uh, on Fox News, there was a roundtable discussion about what work should expect in the year 2010. And Britt Hume was asked, what do you think is going to happen to Tiger Woods in 2010? W- watch what he said. Tiger Woods will recover as a golfer. Whether he can recover as a person, I think is a very open question. And, we're, and it's a tragic situation with him. I think he's lost his family. It's not clear to me that whether he'll be able to have a relationship with his children. But the, but the Tiger Woods that emerges once the news value dies out of this scandal, uh, the extent to which he can recover, it seems to me, depends on his faith. He's said to be a Buddhist. I don't think that faith offers the kind of forgiveness and redemption that is offered by the Christian faith. So my message to Tiger would be, Tiger, turn, your faith, turn to the Christian faith, and you can make a total recovery and be a great example to the world. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, You got to understand not everybody else did. Right. I mean, as a matter of fact, there were letters to the editor and even editorials in the New York Times, the New York Post, Time Magazine, Newsweek and U.S. News attacking Brit Hume saying, how dare he go on TV and say that the Buddhist faith doesn't offer true forgiveness and hope, which, by the way, it doesn't. 
How dare he say that the only way that he's ever going to find redemption and grace and healing is in Jesus Christ, which we know, by the way, the Bible teaches is true. How dare he say something like that? And so what happened is they started attacking him and attacking him and attacking him for doing what? For speaking what the Bible says. Because we're in a world of darkness that doesn't understand how true that is. And and what happens? He got on the top of the ladder and he got persecuted. But I want to tell you what Brit Hume did not do. He didn't back down. He didn't back down. So in interview after interview and time after time, he stood by what he said. I got to have you see what happened when he was on Bill O'Reilly. Watch this. Now, on Fox News Sunday, you got into a subject that was pretty interesting. It's non-political. It's a social embarrassment for Tiger Woods. And you said this about Mr. Woods. Roll the tape. He's said to be a Buddhist. I don't think that faith offers the kind of forgiveness and redemption that is offered by the Christian faith. So my message to Tiger would be, Tiger... Turn your faith, turn to the Christian faith, and you can make a total recovery and be a great example to the world. Was that proselytizing? I don't think so. I mean, look, Tiger Woods is somebody I've always rooted for as a golfer and as a man. I've greatly admired him over the years, and I always have said to people that it was the, con it was the content of his character that made him, beyond his extraordinary golf skills, so admirable. Now we know that the content of his character was not what we thought it was. He is paying a frightful price for these revelations. I, my sense is that he has basically lost his family. And uh, there's a lot of talk about the endorsements he's lost, but that pales, I suspect, in his mind uh, with what he's lost otherwise. And my sense about Tiger is that he needs something that Christianity especially uh, uh, provides and gives and offers, and that is redemption and forgiveness. And I was, I was really meaning to say in, in those comments yesterday more about Christianity than I was about anything else. I mentioned the Buddhism only because his mother is a Buddhist and he has apparently said that he is a Buddhist. I'm not sure how seriously he practices that. But I think, I think that, that, that Jesus Christ offers Tiger Woods something that Tiger Woods badly needs. Gutsy. I mean, holding the truth and not veering. As a matter of fact, in another interview I wasn't able to get my hands on for you, he actually said, if I had it to do over again on the very initial one, I wish I had stated more clearly, it's not the Christian faith, it's Jesus Christ himself, which is the way, truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. And when that happens, and we take that kind of a stand, and we proclaim truth. By the way, did you see he was kind? He was loving. He was intelligent. But you know what? The reality is we live in a dark world that doesn't want to hear this. And they want to hear that everybody's okay and all roads lead to God. Well, if all roads led to God, then Jesus would not have died on the cross. He died because we need a savior. He died because we have sin. He died because he's the only way. And he rose again to call us into a life with him. And we are called to cling to that. And blessed are you and I when we're persecuted for the sake of proclaiming the truth, righteousness, and right lifestyles. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 10 to 12. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. And for in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now I want to have you not miss this persecution is promised. If we're genuinely committed to Christ, persecution is promised. And it was interesting that Jesus in his day was persecuted and reviled and insulted and attacked. 
He was standing in the presence of one of the, the nicest, if from what we could tell, the kindest, most good-hearted man, maybe in his day. A man named Nicodemus. No one was more religious than Nicodemus, even to the point of standing up for the rights of others. And standing in front of him, this very, very good man, he says, I, I know that you speak the words of truth. And Jesus said in John 3, 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, by the way, those words then were a lightning rod and polarizing. Those words today are polarizing too. When you say, or I say, and we look at somebody and say, I don't care how good you think you are. I don't care what you believe unless you're born again into a Christian faith, unless you're born again into a relationship with God as your father, you will not go to heaven. Now, now we need to understand there's no veering on this. The Bible's consistent on it. Jesus lived for it and he died for it. And we need to have the same heart. It's interesting in that same interchange, John three sixteen flies out, but then you can't miss 17, 18 and 19. Listen to what Jesus said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe in him has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Did you catch what Jesus is saying? He said, I'm it. There is no other. And you need to know God loves you. But if you don't understand that you have to come genuinely believing in me and no other way, you find yourself judged already. Then verse 19, don't miss what he says. He says, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and the men love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds may be exposed. But he who practices truth comes to the light so his deeds may be manifested to have been wrought in God. Now, now, Jesus said, I want you to know something. That when I came, I came as the light of the world. But people love darkness. We live in a world that loves the darkness. They don't want the true light. And the minute you go to being pure in heart, and the minute you go into idea of clinging and to righteousness, well, guess what happens? Then you're going to be, you're going to be persecuted. But blessed are you when you live life that's true. Blessed are you that you stand up for what matters. Blessed are you that you make a difference. Blessed are you when you do that. You see, I want to tell you, if you're brand new to all this and you think that you came to something that's calm and serene and about us always smiling at each other all the time, you miss what Christianity is all about. Jesus didn't come and die so you and I would be comfortable. He say came and died so you and I would be committed and we would march on the gates of hell and take it down. That's who we are. As a matter of fact, people miss very often that are we to be militant? You bet we're militant. And we don't hold. We don't veer. We don't change. We don't back down. We sit here today because of the blood of the martyrs who would not relent when they were told die or, or, or worship Caesar or die. And they chose death. We, we are here today because brothers and sisters of ours in the 15 and 1600 said every word here is true. And we're going to cling to it. And so they began to proclaim the idea. The Bible 
Bible teaches, and by the way, the Bible teaches that we're to go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them, which means to dip, submerge, or plunge in water in a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and teach everybody to do everything Jesus commanded. And when they began to espouse and proclaim that over something to me, it would seem to not be as big a deal as baptism. They were actually put in chains with weights on them and thrown into the ocean saying, if you want baptism here. And those people chose to die rather than relent. See, here's what you need to know. This is our faith. And here's the bottom line. We live by it and we'll die for it. And I know people don't seem to get that. I mean, they really don't. I was talking with people recently going, well, can't you bend on this? Bend on what? The word of God? I mean, do you not understand? And they're like, they don't get it. They genuinely don't get that this isn't about uh, us. It's about God's word and God's truth. And we're never going to back away from that. We have the resolve of Daniel who says, throw me in the pit with the lions. I am not going to stop praying to my God. And when they have the, the resolve of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, who when they were told to bow down to anything other than God, they said no. And they were told, then you'll be burned in fire. And they said in Daniel 3.17, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and he will deliver us out of your hand O king but even if he does not even if he does not let it be known to you O king that we are not going to serve your gods or worship your golden image that you've set up so you know what they could threaten lawsuits against us all day long matter of fact and it's actually happened someone said don't you realize if you keep preaching this way you could lose your tax exemption and we're like who cares I mean, oh, that's a threat. We might have to, I mean, what do they think they're threatening us with? One day they're going to threaten to take our lives. One day they're going to threaten to beat us. And by the way, that's happening in India right now. Brothers and sisters of ours are literally being beaten to death because they hold to the true Christian faith. They're being attacked because of that. It's happening in Rwanda. It's happening in other parts of the world. And the last thing any of us are ever going to do is turn away and relent from the truth of God. That's not what we do. And persecution is something we're promised would happen. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says this, Indeed, indeed, or else truthfully, listen to this, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All. Now, I don't want you to miss that. God is telling us every single one of us will be persecuted. If we seek to live the pure life, the pure hearted life, the the righteous life, we're going to all undergo persecution. We need to understand that. Uh, Jesus said that we need to understand that if we live a Christ-like life, that the world is going to hate us very often. In John chapter 15, verse 18, it says this. If the world hated you, you know it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Jesus said, we're going to be persecuted by people who don't understand who he is. And we're going to be persecuted by people who actually use his name to persecute us. The bottom line is, Jesus said, if I was persecuted and I was hated, why would you think you'd escape that? If you shine as a light in a dark world, there are those who are going to go, I want the light. But there are going to be more. They're going to be more who say, no, we don't want the light. We don't want to be exposed for the evil that exists. We don't want to live that way. And by the way, Peter said, it should not come as a surprise that we get persecuted. It should not come as a surprise that we take a hit. Listen to the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He says this, beloved, 
Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. In other words, it's not a strange thing for a Christian to be persecuted. That, that ends up happening. That's normal in a dark world. It's normal in a sinful world. That's what happens to us. And he said, why would you be surprised? Why would you think it's strange? Listen to what he says in verse 13. But the degree to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ. Oh man, think about that. Are we ready to suffer with him? If he went to the cross for us, why would we do anything less? He says, do you realize what an amazing honor it is to be up here at the top and suffer in his name and suffer for the sake of righteousness? And he said, do you realize we get to suffer with Christ? Paul actually held out his arms and said, I bear on my body the brand marks of Christ. And, and man, what an incredible life to live. And here's what he goes on to say. He goes, but to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, what do we do? Keep on rejoicing. So that at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled in the name of Christ, you are blessed. But the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. Oh, my. Those that get to suffer. He says, man, when God's revealed, you're going to say, God, I, I, I would never back down. I would never relent. I would never stop. I would never give in. And you know what? We need to be people who are willing to stand for God and his truth constantly, especially in a world that doesn't understand light, that doesn't understand true love, that doesn't understand what it means to live for him. And Peter says, don't be surprised when it happens. If you get into a boxing ring and somebody hits you, you wouldn't be surprised, would you? You wouldn't go, whoa, wait a minute. What are you doing? You're hitting me. No, if you're in a boxing ring, you ought to get hit, right? Right. If you get in a pit with a lion on a snowy day, you're going to get scratched like Ben and I are, right? I mean, if you're going to run in a, uh, if you're going to play football and you get the ball, would you be shocked if someone tackles you? Could you imagine the NFL starts, Reggie Bush is coming around the end with the ball. He catches it. He makes a cut. Bam, he gets hit and he gets up and throws his helmet down and goes, I'm not playing anymore if you're going to keep tackling me. <laughs> no, no, no. You know what? You and I ought to expect to get hits in a world like this. That's what he says. Don't be surprised at it. You know, we don't want to, don't want to be like the boxer who got into the ring and he goes out in the first round and then all of a sudden the other boxer just wailing on him, hitting, hitting, hitting. Man, he bloodies his lip, bloodies his nose, almost closes his eye in the first round. The guy comes back at the, the end of the round, sits on the stool and his trainer says, oh my, that was incredible. He didn't lay a glove on you. And the guy's looking, what? Goes out the next round, man. He gets hit, hit, bam. Almost closes the other eye, knocks the tooth out, hits him again. He comes back and sits down. And the trainer goes, wow, that was incredible. He didn't lay a glove on you. And the, the boxer looks at him and goes, hey, then keep an eye on the referee because someone's beating the living daylights out of me. <laughs> Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Now, I want to tell you, I, I want to be honest about this. And I mean it. I, I know I've taken some hits and I'm going to still take some. But I think what I go through is nothing compared to what you go through. I really mean that because I, I live in a fairly insulated world. You might be surprised at this, but the office I work at, I could talk about Jesus Christ being the way, truth, and the life all day long. And nobody gets mad. <laughs> right? But you know what? A lot of you, that isn't what happens. A lot of you go to work and you get a chance to talk about a God of love and you get to talk about the fact that adultery is not okay. By the way, are you ready for this one? You know, I, I actually, I think we could say adultery is wrong and, and everyone would agree. But if you said, you know what, homosexuality is not okay. Whoa, is that a lightning rod? You think some of you are going to get persecuted over that one? Marriage is between a man and a woman only. And then right away, well, then you're homophobic. We're not homophobic. We're just Christian. 
We believe that there's freedom in Christ and that's where it's to be found. And, and you know what? We know that sin is sin. And so we know abortion is the taking of the life of a child. And any sex outside of marriage, no matter who it's with, is an abomination to God. And I know people don't like hearing that. They're like, well, why are you in, in trying to put your morality upon us? They missed the whole point. It's not about that. It's that we're called to be light in the darkness. We're called to take a stand. And I know some of you at work, man, you take hits. And I know some of you in your families take hits. And I know some of you in your neighborhoods, you take hits. But the reality is, I don't want you to ever think that it's anything but a blessing that you shine out. And whenever it happens, you ought to go, God, thank you, thank you, thank you that I'm shining as a light in the darkness, always with kindness, always with love, but never, ever backing down. As a matter of fact, we need to understand something that Jesus said that persecution is a blessing. But when you're not persecuted, it's a sign of something being wrong with you. See, in Luke 6, verses 22 and 23, it says, blessed are you when men hate you. And ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the son of man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way that your fathers used to treat the prophets. He says, leap for joy. But now listen to what he says a couple of verses later. Luke 6 verse 26. Woe to you. Now, by the way, the word woe is not just woe. It's a scream of agony. What an agony it would be. What a horror it would be to you, he says, when all men speak well of you. For their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Recently, I got a few things done towards me and I got an email from someone that says, praise God that that woe was off your back, Chuck. People are not always speaking well of you. Praise God that you're standing for something. Praise God you're willing to do it. And you know what? Woe to you when everybody acts like you're okay in a world like this. Because Jesus would not be okay in a world like this. You and I need to stand and we need to shine out. Jesus warned in John 5, 44. How can you say you believe? How can you say you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that comes from the one and only God? When we're wanting everybody to act like we're okay and everybody to say we're fine. He says, you can't do that. You got to stand. You got to make a difference. You got to be willing to not back down. And in Galatians 1.10, Paul said that. He goes, am I seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were trying to please men, I would not be the bondservant of Christ. We need to understand that our goal is not to be mean spirited ever. Our goal is not to be intentionally and polarizing, but the message itself is the idea that Jesus is the only way, truth and life is polarizing. The idea that no one comes to the father, but through him is polarizing. The idea that when you come to Christ, that you need to be baptized and choose to live your life completely sold out for him, not holding back in any way is polarizing. The idea that sin is sin and it's not okay. And while we have a loving God, there's a just God in heaven who judges sin and we need to stand against it and we need to stand for truth. That's when those kind of hits are going to come. And I hope you would say to him, praise God, I'm going to take some hits. Rupert Brooke, who would die for his faith, said this. He says, now, God, be thank who has matched me for this hour. Praise God. I live in a time like this. Praise God that I get to have this happen. He says, what a praise it is that I get to suffer for the name of Christ. And by the way, we will. You don't have to go out and seek it. All you got to do is seek Jesus and it's going to happen. All you have to do is live for Jesus and it's going to happen. And it's going to take place because you're going to be at the top and they'll say, blessed are you. Blessed are you. But by the way, I want you to grab this. There are eight Beatitudes, but there's only one that has a double blessing. 
Now, now catch that. He's going to use the word blessed twice, but it's the same beatitude. And look at this again. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs are the presence of God, the power of God, the promise of God, and the provision of God. Then he says this, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Now, now notice it's a double blessing, but one beatitude. You're doubly blessed when you're willing to live for God, shine as a light, and take the hits that come with it. And notice the three kinds of ways he says we get hit. First of all, he says, blessed are you when people insult you. Now, now, you've heard the old saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. But that's the furthest thing from true. I mean, words can hurt. Words can wound. And the bottom line is, is this idea here is blessed are you when you're in a situation where they make insulting remarks, demeaning remarks, casting their teeth at you and grinding them at you is the literal word that's used there. And it's used of the mocking of Jesus in Matthew 27, 44, when he hung on the cross and they walked by mocking and insulting, mocking and insulting. Blessed are you when people attack you in that same way. Now, now, you know what? I got to tell you that, that, that no one, no one is immune to this if you're going to live for Christ. People are going to do it from an intellectual viewpoint and act like we're narrow-minded and, and, and weak-minded. But that's not the case. People are going to do it from a meaning point, acting like we're not intelligent enough to be relativistic in a world like this. And act like everybody how to have a right to everything they believe. Because we're standing for something in a world that stands for nothing. Uh, lots of people are going to attack and it's happened through the ages. It happened to the apostles. It happened to Jesus. It, it happened to Billy Graham. There's web pages against him in great glory. And, and by the way, it's always happened. Dwight L. Moody, who was one of the most amazing men of God, who God's ever called into to being. Matter of fact, uh, uh, when he was a young guy, he was challenged with this. Uh, a man who worked with him said, Dwight, the world has yet to see what would happen when one person is wholly devoted to God. And Moody went and prayed and said, God, I want to be that one man. And he shook the world in his day. Well, it wasn't a popular thing. He was under attack constantly. One time he walked into his church, Moody Bible Church, and he went up to the pulpit and there was a note there that was folded in half and he picked it up and opened it up and there was just one word on it. F-O-O-L exclamation point in big red letters and he looked at it and all of a sudden man he thought he just got really angry and he held the note and he's looking out at the crowd trying to scan it and pick out the person that wrote it and then he did something very unusual he walked out from behind the pulpit he always preached behind the pulpit and he said ladies and gentlemen as a pastor i have received many anonymous letters that were mean and cruel that people refused to sign but today's the first it's the first time someone signed a letter and wrote nothing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What do we do? What do you do when the insults are thrown? What do you do when people are slamming at you? You know what? I got to tell you, we want to take the, the model of Christ. I think in our nature, we want to attack back. In our nature, we want to be like Winston Churchill, who was in a battle with Lady Astor. This actually really happened. And Lady Astor was outspoken in Parliament against him, outspoken in the press against him. And they were always going at it. And then one day, he's standing in the midst of a group of reporters. World War II is raging. And she makes her way through the reporters. And she's so mad at him she says mr churchill if you were my husband i'd put arsenic in your tea and he looked at her and said lady if you are my wife i'd drink it (laughs) 
quick-witted. It was Mrs. Braddock, another woman of nobility, who also was going at it with them. And, and, and this actually, I checked, this really happened. Uh, he was at a party, and, and because of the stress of the war, he started drinking way more than he should. And he started to get very drunk, very inebriated. And she was so disgusted by it. In the midst of all these people, she walked up to him and said, Mr. Churchill, you're disgusting and you're drunk. And he stood up and looked at her and said, well, lady... You're ugly and I'll be sober in the morning. (laughs) Okay, that's not what we're supposed to do. It's tempting, isn't it? It's tempting to shoot back. It's tempting to take shots back. But the book of Proverbs warns us that we need to keep silent. And even a a person who's hasty in his words appears as a fool. We need to be quick to hear. Slow to speak and slow to anger. And Jesus actually tells us what we're supposed to do uh, uh, in his life. Peter couldn't miss it. One who watched him again and again take the shots and only respond in the right ways. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it says, For you have been called to this purpose. Now, now, listen to this. You and I have been called to this. What are we called to? Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. If you haven't caught it yet, I've never ever said to you, the word of God has never said to you, no one who's ever preached his word and truth has ever said to you, we're calling you to the easy life. We're just calling you to the great life. A life that matters, a life that may have pain and suffering and persecution. And, but Jesus is so worth it. And it says that Jesus Christ suffered for me. Jesus Christ suffered for you, leaving us an example to follow in his steps. And that very often leads to a cross. And then it goes on to say this. It says, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He would not revile in return. He would not threaten in return. He wouldn't go after them. As a matter of fact, while every situation is a little bit different, we need to know when to speak and when not to speak, but never reviling, never threatening, never returning insult for insult. We ought to pray for those who persecute us. We ought to bless those who curse us. We need to love our enemies. We're going to get into that more later, but here's what we never, ever do, but we don't back down from the truth. We don't refuse to talk. We don't say you can beat us into submission because the only one we're submissive to is Jesus himself. And we need to live our life that way. So he says, you're going to be insulted. Jesus, the next thing he says is you're going to be persecuted. The word persecuted means to pursue, to drive, to trace, chase away, to harass, to seek, to treat evilly and cruelly. And you might experience that physically, but more likely than not, you're going to experience with people who give you glaring and mean-spirited looks and do everything they can to make you know you're not welcome. You take a stand for truth and you walk into the break room at work and it goes silent and people look at you and you could tell they don't want you there. You take a stand for truth and you walk up to that little league game and all of a sudden, man, no one wants you around. You take a stand for truth and that's what's going to happen. Not everyone's going to cheer you on. Uh, David Hawking, one time when uh, he was a member of a racquetball health club, uh, uh, came walking in, getting ready to play racquetball with a friend. And, and he noticed a big crowd gathered around a TV set. And he thought, oh, cool, there's probably a game on. And he made his way to the crowd and looked. And here's this big screen TV with porn being shown. And the men laughing and, and, and going, oh. And there's two 12-year-old boys sitting in the front. Hawking walked over. Hit the set and turned it off. Said, I am ashamed of you men. 
Not one of you. You let these little boys watch this. None of you should be watching this. And I want you to know that we don't allow this in this health club. I wouldn't be a member. And by the way, do you think they cheered for him? Next time he showed up, man, they're glaring, they're looking, they're mad. And he said, praise God, I stood for something. You know what? We got to say that porn's not okay. And little boys watching porn certainly isn't okay. In a polluted world like this, we're going to take stands. And the key is we've got to do it with everything we have. Whether people cheer or not, the truth is we're committed to God. And they may seek to ostracize. They may seek to keep, cast us out. They may seek to say you're not welcome here. But you know what? We are always going to walk with the truth. And then he says, this is the hardest one to me. They falsely say all kinds of evil against us. I mean, they insult us. They, 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 they attack us. And then when that doesn't work, they lie about us. And, and I want to tell you, I, I've watched that. How It's tough to do. How do you fend yourself against lies? And in the end, what do we do? We entrust ourselves to the one who holds us dear. We entrust ourselves to the one who judges righteously and say, God, you know the truth. Now, I, I got to tell you, when people start thinking lying statements about me, there are two phrases outside of scripture I cling to. One is a piece of advice that says this. When people attack you, your friends will not need an answer and your enemies won't believe one. And I found that to be the case. I've tried to reason with people to get lying and attacking. It just seems like you can't win them over. No matter how much truth you bring. But I found that those who are really your friends stick by you no matter what. And then Winston Churchill said this. I mean, I'm sorry, not Winston Churchill. Abraham Lincoln said this. Abraham Lincoln said, you can get into a fight with a skunk and win, but you'll still come out smelling like a skunk. (laughs) And it's too true. What do you do? It's just part of life. If I'm going to live for God and you're going to live for God, we're going to be attacked. We're going to be insulted. We're going to be lied about. It's just going to happen. And you know what? Blessed are you and I when we live in that company. Blessed are you and I when that's who we are. And and here's the point. Is that so they persecuted the prophets who were before us? We're in the company of David and Daniel and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah. and, 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 And we're living in the midst of giants when that happens. When you and I get to suffer that way and get attacked that way, we could stand and say, Jesus, now I know what you went through. And and I'm not even getting a a taste of how bad it was, but I am willing to take it. Even if it comes to the point of scars and attacks. And in the days we live it, the next great sign of the coming of the Lord is we will be hated by all nations on account of him. It's already, there's a turn in the United States towards us, but it's going to get worse. And I hope and pray that, that you remember these words today and you say, I will not relent. I will not give up. William Barclay said this in this whole talk about the idea of blessed are the persecuted. He said, in that time, it's a time to hold our heads high and praise God that we were allowed to suffer for his name. The one who suffered for us. So it's a glory. Then he said, this is the feeling about which Shakespeare wrote so unforgettably in Henry V in the words he put in Henry's mouth before the battle of Agincourt. And here's what Henry said, standing in front of the troops. He says, he that shall live this day and see old age will yearly on vigil feast his friends and say tomorrow, tomorrow is St. Crispian's day. Then he will strip his sleeve and show his scars and say, these wounds I had on Crispin's day and gentlemen in England will now abed and shall think themselves accursed. They were not here to fight this battle and they will hold their manhood cheap while any speaks because those who fought on St. Crispin's day. Now I probably didn't do it as good as Shakespeare meant, but here's the point. I'd rather be in the fight. I'd rather get the wound. I'd rather stand in the light. I'd rather take the hit. I don't want to be the one who sheepish and backs down with the spirit of timidity. 
And people could cast out our name evil all day long. They can make the reviling statements. But I know this, the cross of Jesus Christ is worth it all. And for me, and I think many of you, I'll never turn away from that cross. I'll hold it dear, I'll hold it high, and I'll proclaim his name, whether it's popular or unpopular. And this is what guides my life. And I hope all of you are in agreement with me. This we live by and this we die for. We need to be willing to say that's who we are. Now, today, I want you to know that you might be sitting here going, whoa, this isn't what I expected in church, which, by the way, I think it's sad. We ought to expect this in church, God's word. But I want to tell you something else that you need to know that God is calling you not to live just an ordinary life, an extraordinary life. You're called to live for a cause. A cause that's greater than you. A cause that's worth everything. But you're called to live in a loving relationship with the Father who says, come and help me take down the gates of hell. Come and help me assault darkness. Come and be a part of this with me. Come and stand. Come know that I sent my son to give everything for you. And now it's time for you to rise up and give everything back for me. Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him take up his cross and deny himself. For he would sake to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You will never find a greater thing to live for. And maybe, maybe for some of us, something to die for. But you'll never be sad if you truly come and live with him. A life that matters like that. The last thing you want to do is sit on your couch and live in insignificance. And live in boredom. God's calling for you to live a life that's great and amazing. Filled with light and love. And today, if that doesn't describe you. I'm going to ask you, will you join? I'm going to ask you, are you willing to be in? I'm going to ask you, are you willing to make a difference and be different in him? Some of you might say, man, why on this day would we give an invitation? This is the best day of all. We're saying, come and live with the one who's going to lead you in a life that's amazing and not always easy. And you may get some shots taken at you, but you're going to know you matter. And if you've never given your life to Christ, how do you do that? How do you enter in? Well, in the same way, if you're going to enter in the military service, you've got to make a commitment. You've got to make an oath. And what do you do? The Bible says you call on the name of the Lord. You pray to him and say, Lord, I want this life with you. I want the forgiveness of my sins. I want the healing of my hurts. I want freedom from my fears. And I want to commit to being everything you want me to be. And you tell him that. In a moment, I'm going to lead that prayer. I'm going to pray and then i'm going to stop in the middle and if you're ready to say i want to be his i'm going to let you right where you're sitting pray it and i want to tell you i want to tell you while it's not easy man i could tell you that a lot of us in here would tell you it's been worth every moment with him the blessings and the hard times and i'll tell you the trials even turn into something amazing he makes life incredible and today i want to ask you would you be ready to go and make this kind of commitment to him some of you are here today you know what you need to come back to christ You need to recommit your life to him. You need to say, you know what? I don't know what happened to the fire that used to burn within me, but I'm ready to have it revived. You might say, Chuck, you don't know what I've done, but I can tell you this. God would never stop loving you. He would never turn you away. More than ever, come and say, God, take my life and put it back together and fire me up and and, and recommit. So today, if you sense God calling you to do it, I'm going to ask you today in a moment to be ready to pray that prayer with me. But let me tell you what I'm going to ask you after that. I'm going to ask you, if you pray that prayer and mean it, that you have the courage when we stand to sing in a moment to wake your way to an aisle and to come walking down here or make your way to the stairs and come down. People would love to let you out. But why would I ask you to do that? Because in the Bible, whenever anybody had a private commitment time with God, they were always told to go make it public. 
God wants you to do something daring and he wants you to do something visible. And Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father's in heaven. When you pray that prayer and you say, Lord, I want you. He says back, I want you too." And when you step out and go, I want everybody here to know that I'm his. Then Jesus proclaims your mind and that connection deepens. And, and it's tell you, it can get emotional. As you start making that walk, all of a sudden you sense something deepening. And I want to tell you, it's the greatest thing that could ever happen. Here's the place we'll cheer you on. But what you're saying is whether people cheer or not, I'm yours. And and so I'm going to ask you, if you pray the prayer, I'm going to ask you to come. Let's pray. Father, I praise you and thank you that we get to stand in a day like this. We get to live in a day like this. And Father, there are times our community embraces what's happening and there are times they don't. But what we want to be found is faithful. We want to be found true. We always want to be kind and loving, but we never forsake truth. May we stand, Lord, for the things you want us to stand for. And may we never relent. May we never back down. May we always be yours. And I pray that in the midst of doing that, we would lift you up, Jesus, and people would come to you. But no matter what the reaction, may we always be yours. I ask, oh God, today for strength and courage for those who need it. They're facing difficult things. And I pray you would stir within them now and God, they would know that whatever environmental situation they're in, whatever circumstances they're facing, you're greater. And as they draw close to you now, God, I pray all of a sudden they're going to find themselves feeling courageous and hopeful because God, you are going to move. You're going to act on their behalf. They're not in it alone. And Lord, I want to ask for your Holy Spirit to come in this room. I pray, oh Lord God, my Father in heaven, my Abba, I pray you'd start touching anybody right now who needs to commit their life to you on this day, on this serious day. May they sense a stirring. May they know this is their time to say yes to you and to commit themselves completely. May they want to be a part of something greater than themselves. And may they fulfill the destiny you've created them for. And I pray for those who are doing this the first time, God, may they have the strength. And I pray for those who need to come back that you would call them. I want to ask that we keep praying. And I really mean this. If you're right with God, would you pray for anybody right now who needs to make this decision? But today, are you ready to say yes to God? Do you sense him touching you and stirring? Do you sense that you're ready? No more holding back. You're going to be his. Maybe come back to him. If so, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Let's pray it together. You just whisper these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurt, to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. And I say yes. I want this and I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you created me to be and to live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer today, man.